You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Last week's passage, chapter 4, uh, really it was a passage that dealt with God's timing. God's timing, as we saw that, that it took 15 years of, of David struggling, 15 years of, of David facing adversity until he finally became the king. And now this morning here in chapter 5, we see that it's, that it's under David's reign that, 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 that Israel is about to enter the, the, the greatest period of prosperity and expansion they've had. As, as David now unifies the nation, and, and he makes really the nation of Israel very, very wealthy, very, very successful. But along the way, there were warning signs. And, and, and so in the midst of, of all of this success, we see that, that there were some areas of private neglect in David's life that took a toll on his life and eventually a toll on the kingdom, a toll on the, on the nation. And so this morning's passage in many ways reminds us of the dangers of prosperity, that, that as hard as adversity is, and it's hard, sometimes for some people, prosperity, success can be even harder. It, it was William Bates who warned and said, wealth, honor, and fame often contribute to the downfall of the unwary. And so that's what we see this morning. We see that, that warning lived out this morning in this passage. And so this morning, this passage is going to cover three things. It's going to cover unity, prosperity, but also warning signs. And so now as we look at verse 1, first we see unity. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then all of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. Remember from last week, the word Hebron is a Hebrew word that means unity. And so they, they came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. So this is a way of saying, you know what, we can't attack you because it would be like attacking ourselves because, because we're one, we're, we're the same bone, the, the same flesh. Now, now remember, last week we saw that, that there'd been a long seven and a half year civil war between the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so there'd been this seven and a half year war. It was a long, tedious, drawn out battle. We, we don't have all of the details. We, we, we just have a, a couple little highlights in a chapter here and a chapter there. But in the end, after seven and a half years, we saw that, that Ishbosheth, the last son, albeit the disgraceful son, but the last son of King Saul, he's now dead. And, and, and the conspirators who plotted his murder are also dead. And so now the, the leaders of, of each of the 12 tribes of Israel send a representative from each tribe, a leader from each tribe to Hebron, and they're all proclaiming one very important message. They say, we are your bone and flesh. In other words, they're saying, David, listen, uh, you, you, you might be from the tribe of Judah, but as far as we're concerned, you're not just the king of Judah. You're not just the king of the south. Uh, listen, Every tribe, the whole nation is surrendered to you. We're, we're submitting to you. The entire nation is unified under David. And, 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 and practically speaking, by, by way of application, just as, as, as Israel was one nation made up of 12 different tribes, but they were one nation, in the same way the New Testament says of us that, that we are the body of Christ. You know, Romans 12, 5 says, So we who are many are, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now think about that for a minute. I mean, look around the room. I mean, I, actually, look around the room. <laughs> I said look around the room and I got, I am not around the room. <laughs> so yeah, look, you, you look around the room and, and we are all different. 
a whole bunch of different people. They're, they're different, uh, different social backgrounds and, and different cultures and, and, and different ethnicities and, and just different age groups. And, and we are very, very different people. I've said it before. I mean, some of you are actually really different, and you know who you are, but you know, just we're, we're very, very different people. Listen, the, the church, and I've said before, is, is quite frankly like, like, the, like the bar scene at Star Wars, right? You know, just, you know, just, I mean, you know, we're, we're just different people. I mean, people who, quite frankly, would have never fit anywhere else in the whole world, somehow we fit in church. Because under the Holy Spirit, we are one in Christ. And so that's kind of the unity that's happening now here in verse 1. The entire nation, all 12 tribes are now unified under David. So he brings unity. But now as we pick it up in verses 2 through 12, now we see that he also brought prosperity. Verse, verse 2. <coughs> Pardon me. In times past, when, when Saul was king over us, it, it, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be a shepherd of my people Israel, and you should be a prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and he began to, and he began to reign, and he reigned for, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse, <clears throat> before the Lord, and, and they anointed David king over Israel. Verse 4. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. So I'll pause here. So first of all, it says, it says that, that, you know, they said, God said to you that you shall be shepherd over my people Israel. So then in verse 3, they then anointed David as their king. In other words, what's happening is, is they are simply recognizing God's hand and God's call on David's life. And, and they realize that, that even, even, even when David was, was just the commander, I mean, years and years ago when, when David was not the king, he was just the commander of, of Saul's army, they recognized even way back then that, that God's hand was on David's life. And so like, you know, David, listen, we recognize even when you weren't the king, you were still shepherding the, the people of Israel. In fact, quite frankly, you were more of a shepherd to us than Saul ever was. You were shepherding us. And, 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 and so they, they, they come and they're like, you know what? We recognize God's hand and so we want to anoint you. And I think in that, by the way, gives us a principle when it comes to finding God's anointed. In other words, when it comes to finding the one that God is raising up for, for, for leadership, you know, raising up for a certain position. Now, listen, I, I've been pastoring this church now. Well, I, I guess in May, it's going to be 27 years, if you can believe that. 27 years pastoring this church, and then, and then another four years of ministry uh, as an assistant pastor, youth pastor before that. So, so in, in, in 31 years of, of, of full-time ministry, I've, I've learned that typically uh, uh, those that, that are truly called to a particular ministry, a particular area, are, are, are those who, frankly, are already doing it. They're the ones already doing it. You know, they're, they're, they're not waiting to, 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 to have somebody come up to them and, and get them involved. They're not waiting to be recognized. No, they, 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 they just start serving. They just have this, this burden for a group of people or they, they have a, a, a heart for a certain particular group or a certain ministry and they just, they, they just feel compelled. They, they can't help themselves. They're compelled to serve. You know, like, like the Apostle Paul, when he said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, For I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. There's just something in them driving them. They can't help themselves. 
so that by the time you quote unquote uh, ordain them or, or bring them on staff for a leadership position or for that matter, just as a volunteer leading a certain ministry, but, but by the time that happens, you are simply just recognizing God's hand, God's anointing that's been on them all along. You've been watching, you've been observing, you've been seeing them serve and you see God's hand on them. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about later on in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, when he said, be in no hurry to lay hands on anyone in dedication to the Lord's service. He's saying, you know, don't be quick to ordain someone. Don't be quick to, to hire someone, or for that matter, promote someone as, as a volunteer and, and lead a, a whole, a whole you know, area of ministry. Don't be in a hurry to do that. In other words, take the time to observe them. Watch them, you know, uh, take enough time to see if God's hand is actually on them, if God's doing something with them, you know, and, and ask a number of questions along the way. You should be asking yourself things like, you know, are they already serving in that ministry? You know, do, do, do they have a heart for those people? Uh, you know, you, you, you should be asking, you know, what, what's their motive? Is there, is there motive to, 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 to be appreciated, to, to be seen, to be recognized? Or is it that they're simply, simply compelled they just can't help themselves. Something's driving them to do it. You know, Charles Spurgeon used to tell his students in the Bible college, he said, he said, you should only enter the ministry if you cannot stay out of it. Something's compelled you. Something's driving you. So now the leaders, each leader of each tribe, 12 leaders, come to David and they, and they recognize God's hand on David's life. And, 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 and seeing that hand, they now anoint him as their king. Now, by the way, 1 Chronicles chapter 12 tells us that during this time, uh, uh, an impressive-sized army gathered at Hebron uh, to submit themselves to David's command. And in fact, in total, it's like 340 soldiers that now surrender and, and submit themselves to David's command. He's now their commander-in-chief. And so with that, verse 4 tells us that, that David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. He reigned into his 70s. So... It tells us that David was 30 years old when he became the king. Now, keep in mind, when David was 15, that's when he was anointed by, by the prophet Samuel to be the next king, when he was 15 years old, right? But, but did, that, did, did that happen right away? No. No, instead what happened was that David then spent the next 15 years of his life running for his life. He spent the next 15 years being hunted down by Saul, a, a fugitive having to hide from Saul. 15 years of, of trials and suffering and adversity. That's how God prepared David for the throne. Now, by the way, that's not typically how you prepare royalty, okay? I mean, I, I read this past week uh, how the royal family in, in, in London back in 1995 sent Prince William... Uh, when he was 13, then later did the same thing with Prince Harry when he was 13. But they sent them off from the ages of 13 to 18 to, to, to live at a, at a preparatory school called, uh, called, called Eton College in, in Berkshire. Now listen, God did not send David to a prep school. God sent David to the school of hard knocks. He, he, he sent him out to, to adversity, to trials, to being hunted down and pursued. And that's how God prepared David. Now, I say that because, you know, maybe some of you, uh, you know, maybe you feel like there's, that, that, that God has a call in your life, 
that God's called you to some ministry. Maybe you feel like God's called you to, to plant a church one day, or maybe he's called you to, to be a missionary someplace, or maybe he's called you to start up an outreach to the poor, or, or an outreach to unwed mothers, or, or this kind of a ministry, or that kind of a ministry, and, 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 and you've been waiting for it, and you're still waiting for it, and you keep waiting, and you've been waiting and waiting, and it's been years and years and years, and you're starting to lose heart. You're starting to lose hope. You're starting to think it's never going to happen. You're like, you know, God, what's taking so long? Well, maybe he's preparing you for it, much in the same way that he prepared David. You know, maybe, maybe just as God allowed David to face Saul's relentless attack, attack after attack after attack, trial after trial after trial, and as God used those trials to prepare David, maybe in the same way God's preparing you. Because listen, God's ways are not man's ways. You know, it's been well said that, that the world looks you over for degrees, but God looks you over for scars. You see, the world will, you know, will, to, to qualify you and to prepare you, the world's going to send you off to the finest institutions to, to be educated and, pre and prepared. Listen, there's nothing wrong with education. God can definitely use your education. But at the same time, sometimes God will send you out to the school of hard knocks. And that's where David's been for the last 15 years getting prepared. And after 15 years of adversity, now the leaders recognize him, they ordain him, and they call him their king. And now verse 6 continues. And the king said to his men, I'm sorry, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come up here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David will not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, and David said on that day, whoever will strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who were who, who hated by David's soul. Therefore it said, the, the blind and the lame will not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold called the city of David, and David built the city all around from the millow inward, and David became greater and greater, for, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So this is interesting. Uh, first of all, Jerusalem itself is, 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 is a naturally impenetrable city. I say that because it's a city on a hill, and, and really it's, it's surrounded by, by ravines on, 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 on all sides. On one side is the Kidron Valley. Then on the other side, it's kind of flanked by the Hinoam Valley uh, that, that sort of wraps itself all the, the way around to the, the rest of, of Jerusalem. In fact, really, the, the only uh, weakness that they had, the, 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 the only vulnerability they had was on the northern end. And so therefore, on the northern end, they, they built a watchtower with walls and, and ramparts to sort of protect the city and defend the city. <coughs> now listen, before Jerusalem was called Jerusalem, it was first called the city of Jebus. It was the city where the Jebusites lived. Now, uh, the Jebusites felt that their city was so impenetrable that they didn't even need to defend it. It could defend itself. They didn't need soldiers to man the walls. Uh, they said, you know what? We, we could fight you off with the, with the blind and the, and, and the handicapped. We don't, you don't even need soldiers. This city is so impenetrable. And so they're sort of mocking David. You know, sort of like that scene out of, out of you know, uh, years ago from Monty Python, the, the Holy Grail, you know, you remember, years ago? It's okay to admit in church you used to watch movies like this. You know, you know where King Arthur finally comes in and, and, and they come up to this castle, and, and, and they're in England, but they come up to a French castle. And this French soldier, he's, he's, he's mocking, you know, uh, Arthur, and, and he's like, your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. He says, now, 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 now go away or I shall taunt you a second time. 
That's kind of what's happening here. They're taunting David. They're like, you know what? Our, our blind and our crippled, our handicapped can defeat you. And so now David in, 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 in verse 8, he says, whoever will strike the Jebusites, let him up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. He's not literally going to attack the lame and the blind. He's saying, you know, they're, 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 they're using this figure of speech, so I'm going to go along with their figure of speech. But whatever soldiers are up there, we're going to get them. He says, but I need, I need somebody to go through the water shaft. Now listen, the, the nearest water supply at that time anyway was, was outside of the city. It was called the Gihon Springs. Now the Jebusites, what they did was they, they built a tunnel. Really what they did was they, 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 they dug out, they carved out a, a 42-foot shaft out of, out of solid bedrock, and then they, they, would, they would go down that shaft, go down that tunnel, and, and, and then uh, bring up buckets of water from the springs and bring it up into the city. That's how they got water for their city. And so... David knew that, that this was their one weakness. The one weakness, the one way in was through the water system. And so he says, you know, hey, uh, in, in, in verse 8, whoever, whoever strikes the Jebusites, let him go up the water shaft to attack. Now, the New King James Version adds this phrase and says, and he shall be chief. So in effect, David's saying, hey, listen, the Jebusites are, are taunting us and then are mocking us. They're saying, you know what? Uh, we're so weak, we're so feeble, even they're, even they're blind and, and their handicapped could conquer us. So you know what I need? I need somebody to engineer a way to get up the water shaft and, and, and to sneak in that way. And whoever can figure that out, whoever engineers that, I will promote him. I'll, I'll promote him to chief. I'll promote him to captain. Basically, he's saying, you know what? I'll promote you to being the commander of my army. So somebody figures out a way. They engineer a way to get up the water supply and they conquer the city. They overtake the city. Verse 11, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and, and cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. <coughs> Pardon me. And then he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. <coughs> so now... Hiram comes along, and, 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 and we're told here that Hiram, of course, was the king of Tyre. Now, Hiram sees that, that David's a force to be reckoned with, and so he thinks, you know what, rather than fight against him, let's join him. So they form an alliance. Uh, now, now, by the way, in, in time, years later, uh, basically Tyre and Jerusalem sort of become the, the New York Stock Exchange and the London Stock Exchange in that Tyre was sort of the commercial capital of the world, in that they controlled all the trade routes on the sea, and their only competition was Jerusalem, who controlled all the land trade routes that David had built. And so under David's reign, he made Israel very, very prosperous, particularly Jerusalem, very, very prosperous. He, he carved out all these trade routes, and, and together Tyre and Jerusalem basically were ruling the world, in a sense, when it came to, when it came to trade and commercialism. And so he, he brought them unity and he brought them prosperity. But now as he picked up in verses 13 through 16, we see that there were warning signs, however. There were warning signs. Verse 13, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came to Hebron, and, and, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And, and, and these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, he works at SeaWorld, um, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, uh, Yaphia, uh, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. Now, <clears throat> again, th these are warning signs. Uh, now, now, the earlier verse had ended by saying that David was growing and growing, that David was getting greater and greater, but he had a weakness. You might say he was a strong man with a she weakness. David had a lust problem. 
or as Chuck Swindoll puts it in his commentary, polygamy was one of, one of the dark spots in David's life that would later come back to haunt him. So now we look at this chapter, and then we also look at 2 Samuel chapter 3, and then also look at 1 Chronicles chapter 3. We read all the names, and we add it all up, and we do the math. We'll see that, that David had a total of 20 sons and at least one daughter by name, and her name was Tamar. Although here it says daughters. But we know one daughter by name. And, 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 and all of them were born to eight different wives. And then in addition to those eight wives, he also had a number of unnamed wives. And then on top of the named wives and the unnamed wives, he also had a, a number of unnamed concubines. Now listen, in that day, and, and I've mentioned this before, it was, it was viewed that, that the more wives that a king had, the more powerful he was as a king. You, you might call them his trophy wives. Now, that day they were called a harem. But the larger the king's harem, the more powerful the king was. But listen, this was more than just a political stunt. This was more than just a, a political move. This was motivated out of lust. He got one and, and then another and then another. And again, as Chuck Swindoll puts it, he says, a whole harem wasn't satisfying David's lust. It was feeding it. That's how lust works. You're driven by lust and you get one, but one's not enough and then another and then another and then another and it's never enough. And so he brought unity, he brought prosperity, but there were warning signs. And now as we pick it up in verse 17 to the end, we have lessons from David's rise and fall. Verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, the Philistines went up and searched for David. And David heard of it, and so he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come up and spread out the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to, to Baal-perazim, and, and David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before, before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. By the way, Baal-perazim means the Lord of the breakthrough. Verse 21, And the Philistines left their idols, left them there, and David and his men went and carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out the, the valley of Rephaim. And, and, and when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear, and come up against them the opposite of the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of, of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for the Lord has gone before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So first God tells him, look, I want you to go straight in and attack him and I'll give you the victory. But then the second time he says, no, don't go straight in this time. Instead, I want you to go around the opposite side and wait till you hear the, 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 the wind rush through the balsam trees. In fact, when the wind rushes through, it's going to sound like the sound of troops marching. And so they're going to hear that. They're going to think you're coming from that side. And instead, you're going to sneak around from this other side. And that's how I'll give you the victory. But what I want you to notice is, is that two different times, once in verse, in verse 19, and then a second time in verse 23, it says, David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. And so early on in, in, in David's reign as king, he was seeking God's direction. He was seeking God's voice. He was seeking God's counsel and wisdom. And the Lord was blessing David's reign. And so there was victory after victory after victory over their longtime rival, their longtime enemies, the Philistines. 
And so again, under David's reign, Israel prospered. I mean, the, the nation itself grew and, and, and expanded. Jerusalem became a, a major trade center in the ancient world because of the commercial highways that, that, that David built. And, and, and those highways branched out all over the ancient world from, from, uh, from Jerusalem to, to Phoenicia and Damascus and Assyria and, and Arabia and, and Egypt, all over the world, bringing great wealth to Israel's economy. And then as we saw this morning, he captures Jerusalem and, and not only does he make Jerusalem the, the political capital of Israel, but as we'll see next week, he also makes it the worship capital, the spiritual capital of Israel. And so it becomes the, the center of worship. And all of that could be summed up by that statement at the end of verse 10 that, that says that David became greater and greater. But listen, as, as great as David's reign was, there were some warning signs. You know, uh, there, there were flaws in, in, in David's character, and as David's character eroded, it seemed that the nation, little by little, eroded with it. So much so that by the time we get to chapter 11, now by the way, the, the time distance, the, the, the span of time that it took to get from chapter 5 to chapter 11 in, 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 in real life took uh, like, like, like 20 years. And so David now in chapter 5 is in his 30s, but by the time we get to chapter 11, he's in his 50s. And so after, after a couple of decades of, of nothing but success, one success after another success, we see in chapter 11 that, that David falls into sin with Bathsheba. And he not only takes another man's wife, but he, take, he takes that man's life. He kills her husband. And yet ironically, we see that, that David the man who handled adversity after adversity, trial after trial, hardship after hardship, was the same man who could not handle success. Timeless warning by Thomas Carlyle. He had once said, adversity is hard on a man, but for every one who can handle prosperity, there are a hundred who could handle adversity. Meaning that, yeah, adversity is hard, but, 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 but just as adversity is hard for some people, there are other people that prosperity is even harder. Success is even harder. They can't handle it. David Guzik, in his commentary, he says, the seeds of our future trouble are often sown in times of our great success and prosperity. David handled trials better than success. Now, on that note, I want you to go back to verse 12. I want us to notice a, a principle in verse 12. Verse 12, it says again, David knew that the Lord established him king over Israel and that he'd exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. See, there's, 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 there's an important principle uh, when, when it comes to, to, to finishing well and, and, and staying the course. And, and in a nutshell, that principle is simply just, just remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Now, in verse 12, I, I find three pivotal, if not foundational, principles that were like the core of, of, of the beginning of David's reign. And, 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 as, and as long as David never lost sight of these, of these three foundational principles, then God blessed his reign as king. But if he, if he strayed from these principles, well, then the more and more he strayed from those principles, the less and less God would bless his reign. So now what are these three principles? Well, in verse 12, principle number one is, is that it says, David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. You see, David knew that, that God was the one who put him on the throne in the first place. I mean, think about it. David, when we first met him, he was just, a, he was just the, the runt of the litter, the youngest of eight. I mean, his, his own dad didn't even remember who he was. 
And so, 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 so David didn't look the part, he wasn't raised for the part, and, and, and he wasn't trained for the part. In fact, the only reason that David was the king was because God chose him to be the king. God put him there, and so David knew that the Lord had established him as king. That's principle number one. Principle number two is that David knew that, 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 that the Lord had exalted his kingdom. You see, David knew that, 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 that all the success was God's doing. Listen, as we mentioned, under David's reign, the boundaries of Israel grew and grew. In fact, they grew from, from 6,000 square miles all the way to 60,000 square miles during David's reign. And yet, and yet David knew that, 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 that this growth uh, and, 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 this, and, this, and this expansion wasn't a, wasn't a result of, of his brilliance with, with, with planning and development. It wasn't because of his brilliance with, with trade and commerce. David knew that, 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 it, that it was the same God who had established him as king. That same God was one who was expanding his kingdom. God put him on the throne, and, 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 and God was blessing his reign. But all of this growth was because of God and his grace. God was the one that was doing it. And ultimately, I think David knew that it wasn't his kingdom. It was God's kingdom. And then number three, David knew that it was for the sake of his people Israel, verse 12. You see, David knew that, that that, 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 that frankly, him being on the throne, him, 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 him being put in that position, he wasn't put on the throne for his own sake. He was there for the sake of the people. In other words, they weren't there to serve him. He was there to serve them. Now, as long as, as David never lost sight of those principles, God was going to bless his reign. But, but the problem is, is that we know that, that little by little, eventually David lost sight of these principles. And frankly, not only did he lose sight of these three core principles with this area of, of personal neglect in his life, but in addition to that, he lost sight of the word of God. You see, David knew that, that, that God's word said in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, God said, neither shall he, the king, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. Now, ultimately, that's exactly what happened. God's word warned that, that, that you multiply wives, your heart will turn away. And that's exactly what happened. The more and more David added to his harem, the farther and farther his heart turned away from the Lord. And so in many ways, David stands as a, as a reminder of what happens when we ignore the clear warnings of God's word. And listen to this. If it could happen to David, the man that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, then it can definitely happen to you and I. It can happen to us. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 reminds us and says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's when you think it'll never happen to me that it's about to happen to you. <laughs> classic reminder, and I've shared this a million times, but classic reminder of this and illustration of it is the story of a man named Gordon MacDonald. At the time, back in 1986, Gordon MacDonald was, was the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, he, he was a, he was a well-known author and, and, and one of the most sought out after uh, public speakers worldwide. And, and, and so one day uh, it was discovered that he was having an affair and everything come tumbling down. Now in his book titled Rebuilding Your Broken World, McDonald uh, chronicles what led up to his affair and what had happened. And so he says that one day he was, he was speaking at a college campus and afterwards one of the students came up and they said, they said you know, Dr. McDonald, if Satan were to blow you out of the water, how do you think he would do it? 
He said, well, that's a strange question. He says, but you know, I, I guess, I don't, I'm not really sure, but I guess there's a lot of ways he would do it. He says, but you know what? The, I, I know that there's one way the devil will never get me. And he says, well, what's that? He said, well, he'll never get me in the area of being faithful to my wife. He says, that's the one place I have no doubt that I'm as strong as you can get. And within one month of those words, he fell into adultery. Therefore, if let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he falls. And David stands as a reminder that, 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 that if it can happen to him, it can happen to us. We need to stay faithful to the Lord. We need to remember where we came from, that any place that we're in right now where he's brought us to this point, we got here because he brought us here. It was his work, not ours. We need to keep our eyes on him. Amen? So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the warning of your word and the, and the living illustration of how easy it can happen to any one of us. So, we, 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 as James says, we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Lord, help us to remember the sinner that you saved. Remember what we were like when you first got a hold of us and you changed our life. How broken we were, how empty we were, how miserable our lives were without you. Lord, protect us from getting high and mighty. Protect us from, 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 from our pride. Help us to remember how small we were and how great you are. We pray now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.